Hi, this is Caleb Stokes, and you're listening to Microphones and Madness. Hey, everybody. Saturday night, Microphones and Madness. It is September the 17th, 2016. As always, I'm Rodney. Here's Steve. Hey. And Madam Odysseus. Yes. <laughs> And tonight we have a special guest. She's the author of two novels, American Monsters and Crime Rave. Uh, she also has articles on HuffPo and Wear Your Voice. Mm-hmm. That was the one I was hoping I would not forget. And without further ado, say hello to everybody. This is Cezine. Ooh, I screwed it up. Cezine Kohler. Thank you. <laughs> so say hello. Hi. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Good to have you on. Yeah. Thank thanks so for, for thanks for coming by. Yeah, it's been an exciting couple of months waiting for this show. Well, um, yeah, me too, definitely. Yeah. Um, since I screwed up the intro royally, uh, <laughs> Steve wanted to to bring forth tonight's subject, so I'm going to let him oh, take over. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, hold on. Let me just get. Oh, oh, he's got notes. I don't have extensive notes. I just have a super memory. Is what right. I have. A sieve for a memory. Yes. What notes are for? Uh, um, sorry. Okay. So, um, I was not, I didn't get to read um, Crime Rave. I will, but I, I missed the boat. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> it's all good. Um, but, uh, I did get to read a bunch of your blog posts. So, um, a lot of them, it it seems like your, your thing is to, is to invert the roles in horror. So, um, not, not in a, in a questioning way, like the status quo of horror is well we all know what it is because that's what we read and watch all the time and it's it seems like what you've done is taken these status quo and inverted them so instead of having um your typical scream queen or um damsel in distress or knight in shining armor archetypes you are um, playing around with those yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but I think at the same time, um, a lot of the kind of like horror tropes that we see in like at pretty much every horror movie, um, I think all of those are still there. Like, you know, you still kind of have this um, kind of slasher. There's like a slasher mentality in my books where you've got like this these men who are doing bad things and um, sometimes they're an actual monster. Sometimes they're just like human men who just do bad things. And then you have these women who are trying to figure out um, how to basically survive, right? And most of my characters are women who've survived horrible things that men have done to them. Um, Crime Rave actually has some really bad females, which is actually the first time that I had, like, truly evil women, which was kind of fun. Like, for me, that was almost reversing on my own style um, because it, I don't know, I kind of felt like you don't want to get pigeonholed. And you don't want to get stuck doing the same thing, which is why, like, 
even from American Monsters to Crime Rave, like I shifted genres kind of. I went from kind of doing a really like in your face kind of gory um, postmodern feminist horror to this kind of like crime novel um, that's kind of got the horror subtext in it. And, um, and the whole point of that is just to keep it fresh, you know? And I think like, it's so easy for, especially for horror, when we have these tropes that are so ingrained in us and, and we've watched these, you know, we watch this, a lot of us watch the same movies over and over again. Like we have our favorites and we really like go to those and there have to be ways that we can make the, the genre feel like it's kind of new or that we're bringing new voices into it. And for me, part of that is by like putting women in the forefront in a different way than I think a lot of horror does. And I mean, for example, like the Soska sisters, um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing their name correctly, but like I love the horror that they make because they, I feel like they do kind of the similar work that I do where it's like they're working from a lot of the same tropes in horror, but they present it in a really feminist way and in a really female way. And I think there's just something like inherently different in how like women make horror than how like mainstream male horror is made. And so, yeah, I do. I really like to, I mean, I'm such a horror geek. Like since I was a kid, I love horror movies. So, I mean, I'm so like in that genre that for me to see like where are the places where I can break the rules are like, I like to try and look for those places and then figure out how to, how to just like really blow them up and make them super dramatic. So yeah, that's a cool question. I like it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, your villain in Crime Rave, man, she was twisted. Oh, God, I hate absolutely her so much. <laughs> I hate her so much. I, I mean, honestly, one of the scenes that I wrote, which was towards the end when, like, really, like, the breadth and depth of her crimes are revealed, I wrote the scene and I threw up afterwards. Like, it just, oh, wow. she's the worst. She is the worst person. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is she... Is she- based on anybody that you can talk about on the air? Oh, no, not really. Um, um, her name actually wasn't, she's, her name is the Countess Verona. And her name was actually, um, the, the character started from like the idea of the Munchausen by proxy, which is this, this um, really strange kind of mental illness that a lot of mothers have where they kind of make their children sick because they want attention. And so I was kind of, I don't remember what, I think it was a combination of watching the movie Baron Munchausen and then reading something about Munchausen by proxy. And I was like, huh, like, I think I want a woman who is like the most evil person you can imagine. And she does terrible things to children. And then like, she just kind of grew from there and then just became so twisted. I mean, she's, man, she makes me sick. I can't, honestly, I can't even believe that I created someone that was that awful. Um, yeah, she I, she really upset a lot of people. Actually, like, I got comments about her, and it was like, why do you have to go there? And it's like, well, and that, this is what I was talking about earlier. It's like, you know, as a woman who writes horror, you have to figure out like where are the places where like the monsters are missing, you know? And she was a monster that to me, like, she felt like she was missing, and so I just like gave birth to her from my brain and my fingers. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Nice. <laughs> And, and and you you have to push that envelope even within your own mind is like, wow, did I just go there? Yeah, yeah, you really do. And I think like and horror now it feels like people are just trying to be really shocking. And okay, and that not to like that character is completely shocking, but 
so much of it is like gore. It's like, oh, how can we dismember someone in a new way that we haven't seen, you know, and like, what's a new place where blood can come out of that's never been on film? Like, and I just, that really doesn't appeal to me so much. Like the horror that I'm really drawn to is like the stuff where it's like, wow, like this serial killer is like the weirdest person. And like, how did they become to be like that? And why are they doing it? And like, are they really a monster? Like, is this person some kind of supernatural creature or are they just a human being and they're just so messed up that this is what they do? And it's like those questions I think are, I don't know, I feel like they're kind of relevant almost to life. Like when, you know, we all have experiences with terrible people and you're always wondering like, what, like why is that person like that? Like, well, what did I do to, to deserve this? And you know, there's just some people who enjoy hurting other people and and they don't necessarily have to be people who were hurt as children you know and that was the weird thing about that countess countess verona is that she wasn't hurt as a child like she doesn't have any big like any like unlike all of my other women um characters she doesn't have some underlying trauma that made her who she is like she's almost like this this embodiment of pure evil and so to me that's like I find that interesting. And so I find her, I found her interesting as horrified as I am by her and what she did and does. Um, because it turns out that, you know, she might actually be appearing in one of my future books, which was a weird thing to realize. Like, and I felt a little sick. I felt a little sick about it. Cause I was like, Oh my God, like that bitch is coming back. But then again, it's like, she's <laughs> so bad, you know, like, of course she's going to survive, you know, Jason survives, like Freddie survives, Michael Myers keeps coming back. Like they all keep coming back. The worst ones all keep coming back. So of course she's going to come back, but now I'm going to have to write her. I'm going to have to like live with her again. So that's, you know, I'm not really looking forward to that at all. Cause she's obviously going to be worse next time as if that's possible, but you know, then I'm going to have to go there and then that's the challenge and that's interesting. So. Yeah. But the countess is one of those characters that's just, she's, when when you're not made aware of exactly what she's doing, when she's just in the room, she's one of those characters that's deliciously evil, almost like a um, uh, the guy with the cat from James Bond, Blofeld. Oh yeah, yeah. She's she's she almost has this this Blofeld uh, aura around her that you know, yeah, she's she's done these things, but. She's also running a super uh, international terror ring on the side and, and mm-hmm. spies and stuff. And yes, the fuzzy white cat. There was, well, was always an image that was in the back of my mind. Oh, reading this character. Is, oh, maybe. Yeah. Oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting. I'm going to remember that. Get the that. paperwork done. <laughs> I'm going to remember that because, yeah, maybe she she might need a minion in the in the future books. <laughs> oh, that's a really good idea. Well, you're gonna be—you'll be mentioned in the acknowledgments. Yeah, that's. Oh my god, that's awesome. Now I'm getting kind of excited to write her again. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And you know, it's it's, it's interesting. I try. Um. So yeah, I mean, there was a couple of months ago on on an internet forum. Um, a fellow who was a writer turned around and he's like, it, it was, it was kind of a ex- implosion kind of moment for this guy. And he's, I'll never write another word of horror. There's so much horrible things going on in the world. Why do people even read it? I that. Yeah. You remember that guy. Um, you know, and it's a thought that kind of sticks with you because we do, we, we, um, gravitate toward horror. We like to be scared. 
Um, Halloween. I took the the wife and kids. We all went to uh, Spirit Halloween store and we're looking at the skulls and the zombies and all of this stuff. And you know, and the kids were having a good time and you know, getting little jump scares from the animatronics and things like that. And it's, and it's just like you know, on the on the one hand, yeah, there's all of this horrible stuff happening um, in the world, and yet for entertainment. And distraction, we turned to even more horrible stuff. Mm. And, you know, would anybody like to tell me why that is? Because <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think, I mean, I think it's like a way that we can process horror, like real life horror, but in a safe place. You know, mm-hmm. um, like I have, I, I wish you guys could see my, like, I wish we could be in my library right now, but. Um, I have a wall of books in there, and it's just like my sank little. My friends call it my my little book cave, and that's the uh. only place that I watch horror movies. So I go into my cave, and I have a I have a new subscription to Shutter.com, and if you guys don't have that, you totally need to get it. It's basically like Netflix for horror movies, but they have the most awesome selection of like foreign horror and just these indie horror movies that like I never even heard of that are so so good. Like I. Oh my God, I love it. And so I go in there and I'm safe and I, and I don't watch horror movies unless my husband's home. So he's out here watching football and I'm in there watching horror movies. And it's like, I feel like I'm working through like the world's issues. I'm working through my issues and yeah, I'm scared, but I'm, I'm safe. And then I can have this like intellectual distance to be able to be like, okay, so, you know, this movie is really talking about like, you know, the, the death of patriarchy or this movie is really talking about like how misogyny rules and, you know, and I'm sitting in there and it's like, it's more than just that it's the horror and that it's the fear. It's that there's like, there's, there's more to like the social commentary that's going on. And then from the horror movies, we can then take that and look at the things that are happening in the world and be like, Oh yeah, there was something similar that happened in that movie we watched. And like, and the movie, you know, it gives you the social context. It gives you the social commentary in a way that sometimes real life doesn't give you. And it, and it puts it in this really neat package where it's, you know, an hour and a half or two hours where you get to sit with these people going through the worst day of their life or, or, or after the worst day of their life. And you see how they deal with it, how they process it. I mean, I find with a lot of, and for me in particular, being, you know, being a trauma survivor myself, like a gun crime survivor, um, I, I really, I'm fascinated by the fact that horror movies are really the only movies I see that like deal with trauma in a real way. And so my kind of, another one of my favorite horror movies is like the movie that happens after the bad thing happens. So like I loved Rob Zombie's Halloween too, because you just saw Laurie like trying to deal with this horrible, horrible stuff that she went through. And it was about her. It was the, at, the attacks were all personal and it was her brother who did them and, and he killed her friends and her, oh my God, it was just so awful. And then you see like how disturbed she is by this and, and the, the really unhealthy ways that she's trying to process what happened to her. And I think for people who've been through trauma, when you have the opportunity to watch someone else deal with their trauma, it helps you. So either, you know, you see that, okay, I'm actually dealing with my trauma like way more in a way more healthy manner than, than, than Lori Myers is. Or it's like, oh, crap, like, I'm actually behaving just like her. Like, I kind of need to do a little adjustment here. Like, I, you know, my attitude is really off. Like, I'm, I'm not dealing with this in, in a healthy way. I'm taking this to a really dark place where it doesn't need to go. And so I feel like 
I feel like horror really serves a lot of social functions um, and much more than just the fear, the, the fear factor, you know, and just like the, you know, and I'm sure that there are some people who just watch it for like the adrenaline rush of it. But I mean, for me, and at least the women that I know who watch horror and the men that I know who watch horror, like we're all trying to heal from things. And the horror movies are really like the main thing that's helping us heal. And I find that fascinating. I mean, I really think that's the most fascinating thing about the horror genre, more than any other genre. That's why I keep going back to it, even though it scares me. <laughs> Excellent. Anybody? Aside from Halloween 2, I was going to ask if you have any special favorites that you go back to again and again. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Of course I do. Yeah. Um, I love The Descent, the, the first one. Um, I just think, like, Whenever I'm having a really super bad day, I watch that and I'm like, man, oh my God, these bitches have it so much worse than me. Like, like I'm going to just go get myself a drink because you know what? Like, I'm not stuck in a hole with monsters and like, I can have some tequila if I want. Like, my life is not that bad, you know? So that's one that I, I constantly go back to. The other one I watch um, that I don't watch as often, but like when I do, I always have like a very visceral response to is uh, Pascal Logier's Martyrs. Have you guys seen that? No, no, that one I have not seen. Oh my gosh, you have to see it. Like it's just a requirement. Like you have to see it. It's just, I think it's one of the best horror movies ever made. Um, It's like this French, almost like philosophical horror. And it's about the nature of pain and suffering and trauma and, and, healing and and again monsters and horrible people doing horrible things to other people and it is so beautiful and horrifying and like you'll probably be in the fetal position on the floor when it's finished but it's like it's not even a movie it's like an experience and that's another one that when I'm really having a bad time like I will sit and watch that and I, I literally will put like a blanket over my head and I'll just be crying underneath the blanket and when it's finished it's like I just feel like this Things have been taken from me that were that were just dragging me down. And I just I feel better. I feel almost like simultaneously heavier and lighter at the same time. It's like when I was watching Hannibal, the TV show, that was the same thing. It's like this push and pull of like, oh, my God, like this is so grotesque. Like I'm, I'm going to throw up. But then at the same time, it's like taking something that's really dark and ugly that it's and then it has a chance to kind of like leave my body and usually through tears. I, I cry. I'm like a famous crier at horror movies like I'm. I'm not screaming or anything. I'm just sitting there crying because everyone's having such a bad time. So, yeah, I often uh, have my husband peeking his head into the room and being like, is everything okay in here? Like, you know, you know like there's Gem on Netflix. Like, you, you know, you can watch a cartoon. Like, you don't have to watch this. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm working my shit out. <laughs> yeah. so, so it's kind of a virtual bloodletting of sorts. You know, Yeah. Um, Definitely. I think that's a cool way to put it. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Especially being a woman, you know, like, yeah, bloodletting. I think, oh my gosh, that's awesome. I'm writing that down. I might even write a whole thing about that. Are you sitting over here, man? That's the second idea you've given me. Wait, now you're going to have the Baroness <laughs> bloodletting her cat. I just got a page in the dedication. <laughs> Don't ask me where this stuff comes from. That's it, cool. just, I like it. It just comes. <laughs> Um, yeah. Now, it's, if an aspiring writer came to you and said, hey, you know, what advice do you have for the next generation, up and coming, however you want to put it, what is, if you could tell them one thing, what is it you would recommend? And, and it can't be don't do it. 
Yeah, that that was the first thing that I thought about. The first, like, <laughs> like one thing about what, like, about the actual writing process, or about how they Any, would. I, I guess, I guess, yeah. Following Steve's caveat, any 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 one supportive thing. Um, well, don't do it. In some ways, could be a supportive thing. <laughs> well, it's either it's either don't do it, or if you're gonna do it, just keep going until something happens. And you know, it took me three years to get into HuffPost, and mm -hmm. that was like when I finally got in. It felt like the biggest coup in the world. It was like, oh my gosh, and then. You know, people think, oh, it just suddenly I'm post I'm writing for HuffPost and it just happened overnight. No, it took me t took me three years of pitching to get in there. And, you know, it's the same. It's the same with anything. So, I mean, I know a lot of people who um, who, you know, tried to get their manuscript published and they got rejected over and over and over again. And then finally a publisher found it and it resonated with them. And then they started winning awards. And so it's like you really have to have a lot of patience. And and so. Yeah, so it's either like go all in or don't bother because either if you're just going to do it half-assed, nothing's going to happen. Absolutely nothing's going to happen. The only thing that's going to happen or when it's going to happen is if you keep going. And um, and that was a tough thing even for me because there were a few years where I was just like, I give up. I can't I can't deal with this. Like it's too it's too hard. It's too much. And and I the stuff I especially my novels are so weird that I was like, I, I this is just not going to work. And then this wonderful little thing called self-publishing happened. And I was able to then release my first novel as, as self-published. And then it actually then got picked up by a publisher, which was really cool. And so it's like, there's so many options now for ways to do things that you don't really have an excuse to give up, I, I feel. Um, well, and sure. there's so many, you know, there's so many small presses and there's so, there's so many indie publishers and there's so many different ways that you can do it. And then with social media, like you can build your own, you know, you build your own platform through social media. Like you just, you got to work all, you got to work all the angles. And yeah, like I said, you got to go either all in or all nothing and you'll get the results of what you put in. And so, and the results come after years, like you're not going to see anything because I have people who, you know, who ask me this question all the time and, and um, you know, and I'll notice that they'll do, they'll, they'll like go all in for about a month and then all mm -hmm. of a sudden nothing. And I'm like, and I'll check in. And I'll be like, hey, so how's all the stuff going? And they're just like, oh, you know, I just, I can't. Like, it's too much. It's too much rejection. It's too much. It's like, well, okay, you know, well, what are you going to do? Like, it's, yeah. it's going to be that. Like, it's going to suck. It's going to be hard. And you're not going to make any money. I mean, I got into HuffPost after three years, but, you know, they don't pay. So it's like, you know, you have, like, that prestige factor, but there's still no money attached to it, you know? Like I wrote things that went viral and, and people assume that like because I wrote things that went viral, that that means that now I'm just like this wealthy writer and I'm swimming in money over here. No, I make like pennies off of my books, you know, yeah. I mean, I get, you burst my bubble lady. Um, well, it's got to be burst because you got it like you've got to come into it, you know, from a real point of view, you know, and and none of us who are writers like I mean, unless you're Stephen King or, you know, Neil Gaiman or. Like those guys get to do it for the love and for the money and all of us indie people, like we're doing it for the love right now. And like, I just know that I'm a healthier person when I'm writing. So once I figured that out about myself, I know that no matter whether I was getting paid or not, I have to write. And mm. it's just now like, it's, it, there's no question about it. Like I, even if I had a full-time job, if I wasn't trying to write full-time like I am now, 
Um, even if I had a full-time job, even when I had a full-time job, like I would still come home and I would write something. So whether it was a short story in a notebook or a blog post with a theme or something, I would write because I, yeah, my, my mind starts to do really weird things when it like doesn't have an outlet. I mean, you know, if you've read, if you've read any of my books (laughs) and even some of my short fiction, it's like, there's weird stuff going on in there that like it needs a release. Otherwise it just, yeah, it's not good. It's not good. And I don't feel good either. You know, I, I feel it in my body too, not just in my head. So yeah, well, of course, especially, especially horror writers, I, I think really need to need to write because I mean, the countess was in your head. <laughs> yeah. She got out on the paper, but she was in your head. She was living point. in there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and these people, these people got to be on the page before they're down the street in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And actually, my next book that I'm working on now, um, unfortunately, has Nazis in it, which is awesome. Unfortunately, so, oh, unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't know. Nazis are. Ugh. I mean, not Nazis are great, but people beating up on Nazis in fiction well, is great. In theory, that's kind of like one of like the weird narrative tricks that I use is um, I do these little kind of segments that are in, written in second person point of view, and um, they're really creepy because like as you read it, you're you actually become the person who I'm talking about, mm-hmm. and so like writing the Countess was really like it physically hurt me. Like there was this um, also in in Crime Rave there was. Um, this guy who was in the Vietnam War, who was part of the My Lai massacre, and he does really bad things, and and I write from their perspective, and so you know, for me, so it means that I have to like, my friend calls me a method writer, so like I basically have to like stand on my computer and like become a Nazi to write these characters, and like Mengele is in my book, and he never died, and you know, um, Himmler is in there, and it's like, oh god, so I'm doing this awful research right now about the Nazi doctors and. I'm reading this stuff that just makes me sick and it gives me nightmares and, and I'm really dreading it. But then again, my books are also very revenge focused. So there's going to be some really awesome, oh my God, it's going to be so awesome. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to kill all those guys, but you know, I still have to to write them, but I still have to write them in that very like visceral and personal, like way that is so, it's so creepy and, and like, to like walk in their skin even for five minutes is just like crawling, like bleh, it's gross. So yeah, so I don't know why I do this to myself, but you know, it's again, like these stories are in there and so they have to come out. And especially now that I've started this one, I can't give up now because now I got these Nazis walking around in my head and that's just not good. Right. <laughs> like, that's not right. good. That's not good for anybody. <laughs> that's actually really cool because most times that um like well known villains are used like nazis they're set pieces they're like a nazi soldier number one and they behave in a certain way because that's how you expect nazis to behave um and if you're doing it this way you're going to have like actual three-dimensional characters yeah which i'm sorry that you have to go through this but for the reader it's going to be great it's going to be great and and it's very uncomfortable like when you when you read those, when you read those kind of, I call them interludes. When you read those second person interludes, like they're, they're very, like, they're really creepy. It's really creepy. Like it's very eerie to like put yourself in like the, 
like to have someone force you to become this horrible person. And even if it's just for a couple pages, it's like, uh, it's just, it's very uncomfortable. So, I mean, there are a lot of people who read, um, you know, who've read both of my books and this is kind of the thing that just like makes them feel really like almost like I'm violating them in some way because I'm really forcing them to see this them being more than just like a story on a page that like they have to imagine that this is like they are this person. And um, and I personally, I like it. Like when, when authors do it, it's so rare to find this, you know, second person point of view. It's like in all my writing classes, like my teachers always told me, don't do, you can't use this, you can't use this. And and I, I just did it anyway. And I just, I feel that it's like really gritty and it's it has a really raw effect um, in the reader. And I think maybe that's why they don't want you to use it because it's maybe too much, but um, I love it. And for me, it's just, honestly, it's like the most comfortable way, but it does mean that I have to like become these characters as I'm going to put the words on the page. So um, yeah, so yeah, there's gonna be Nazis and that's it's just not gonna be fun. Um, but Dracula is in my next book, and so is Jack the Ripper. So I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm stoked. When Jack the Ripper, and Jack the Ripper wasn't even planned, he just like showed up in a prog tram, and I was like, oh yeah, Jack the Ripper. Like, and it, he's horrible. He's horrible. <laughs> he's a horrible person, but he's like, he's so iconic. And to get to like right. just walk in his feet is like, a weird like writer's dream come true kind of like to get to be Jack the Ripper for you know a few pages is like I don't know but that to me is kind of awesome and mm -hmm. he's so enigmatic and I'm actually the book I'm basing his character off is the one um, written by Patricia Cornwell so it's called uh, Jack the Ripper Case Closed and she worked with this Scotland Yard detective and it's this very detailed account of all the different theories of Jack the Ripper and then they think that they proved who it was but then that's since been debunked, but like, I really like her version. And, and because there, it is so detailed, it's going to be really interesting to kind of bring that character to life because he's actually, the character that she wrote in the book has never actually like been in a movie. He's never, um, he's never been in any media uh, from what I've gleaned and it's other theories that have appeared. So I'm, I'm, so that's, I'm really like, I'm excited about that. So when he showed up, I was like, okay, we got the Nazis. Like I'm gonna have to deal with the Nazis, but I got Jack the Ripper. So that's, and Dracula, but like the real Dracula, the historic Dracula shows up too, and he and Jack are friends. So like, it's, <laughs> what a shock! So there's like lots of fun stuff that I'm like, these these are the things that are outweighing the Nazis, and I get to kill the Nazis, so that's also a positive. But yeah, I still have to like put myself through a lot before any of that stuff starts to happen. And I will most definitely be watching, you know, Martyrs and Rob Zombie movies, and <laughs> like just trying to get into like get into the characters and uh yeah but it's 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 intense it's really like the way that i write is really research based so mm -hmm. it's um i have to do a lot before anything actually gets on the page so right now everything is still kind of like in the thought and talking process and eventually it eventually then it will all end up probably by i hope by next summer i'll have at least a like a working draft so it takes so, it takes me so long. I wish I could write faster, but I I can't. It, physically, I can't. Like emotionally, it's it's too much. How the way I do it. I wish I could do it differently, but I've tried and it doesn't work. So. You mentioned that on your blog that you do painstaking research, and then you 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 have a draft, and you had even said it's gonna suck. Yeah. And then you know eventually. 
you know, through, you had mentioned a number of years to write a book. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. My first book I researched for three years and, um, and then that, because I did so much research and so much planning, I was able to do the actual writing in about, I think about two and a half weeks. Um, and I, you know, and then that sat for a long time. And then when I dusted it off, like 10 years later, it was really clean. I mean, it felt like a really clean copy. I was surprised. And that's when I started sharing with people. Um, and then Crime Rave took me, yeah, six years, six years of research. Oh, my God. I read hundreds of books. I read, you know, watched probably a thousand, couple of thousand hours of crime shows and all different kinds of crime shows. I just wanted to, like, get different voices in my head and I needed I just needed to basically I need to get people's voices in my head so like for me to get voices in my head of people who I don't know or I have nothing in common with like I have to watch and I have to read a lot and I have to just kind of like integrate that into myself somehow and yeah my first draft of, of Crime Rave was absolute crap it was horrible it was nothing like my first book it just it didn't I didn't really know how to write a book it had been 10 years since I'd even tried so I had a really steep learning curve with that one and then finally, so I finally got a, I got a draft that worked. And then I think it was maybe about a year and a half later, I had a second draft that I finally felt com comfortable showing people. And I got some good feedback and there were things that were confusing, things I needed to develop more. And then I think it was maybe another year, maybe two, maybe even two years before the semi-final draft. And then I gave that to more readers, different readers, and especially people who hadn't read my first book because... Um, the second one, I kind of want my books to all stand alone. So I needed to make sure that, like, I have so many characters and I had to make sure that everyone could understand who these people were without having any previous experience with them. So then when I gave it to my last group of readers, like, I was, oh, man, this was such a bummer. I was so sure that the book was finished. I was so proud of myself. I'm like, yeah, you rule girl. Like, you're, like you are the queen of horror right now. And I gave it to some people and they were like, well, if you want this to be standalone, like the ending is like, the ending is not a standalone ending. And he's like, and your fight scene's not long enough. And then he like, he had some really legitimate things to say about it. And honestly, I just wanted it to be finished that the thought of having to go back in and I literally had to rewrite the ending. So I went back in and I just was like, okay, I hate this, but I have to do it. So I rewrote the ending and it's so much better now. I'm so happy that I got the notes that I did. I'm so happy I shared it with the people that I shared it with because they gave me such valuable insights and they really just helped it become so much more awesome. And now I love the way it ends. And it wouldn't have ended like that if, if I hadn't had such fantastic beta readers. And so after the final beta read, I did a rewrite and then I shared it with my husband who hadn't seen it since I think two drafts previous. And so, and at that point I felt really comfortable. I felt really comfortable with it. I, and I don't know if I, did I share it with anyone else? Yes, I did. I shared it with two other people and they loved it. And they really had no, they had no comments. Like everything was clear. And so I was like, finally, when I got that, you know, that kind of all clear from, from people who hadn't looked at it before, I think uh, about 15 people read it. Yeah. 15 or 16 people read it before it came out at different stages um, before it was finally ready. And then, you know, I had, you have to hire an editor, like a professional editor to go through and make sure there's no typos and all that stuff. And 
you know, doing all the formatting and all those things. And so then that was like the next stage. But yeah, so from beginning to end, I think it was close to seven years for uh, for Crime Rave. And but part of that was also because I was working and um, I could only be at the computer for so many hours before my wrist start hurting. So I yeah, so that was like basically me working, working on that kind of part time. And right now I'm I'm writing full time. So I hope that that means that I can maybe get a book out in maybe two years maybe three years i would love i would love it to be two years but i'm thinking it's probably going to be three but you can't rush it that's the other thing you know i don't want to put out a book like a story that's not fully cooked and so it takes time i mean at least for me like i'm so jealous of stephen king honestly like that man he just like sees the story in his head and he puts it on the paper and then he publishes it and it's like brilliant every time well and i just I don't have that. I, I think he does it differently than me. I don't think he's like really like in it the way I am. But he tells the same story over and over again. I've been rereading a lot of King recently. Yeah. It, he, it's not the same exact story, but he has stock characters that he just inserts in, and you get a lot of the same um, situations that crop up. Huh. That's weird. I I never noticed that. I, I just I'm rereading um, the Dark Tower, and um, I'm on Wizard and Glass, and it reads a lot like um, Needful Things. Oh, really? I'm trying it's, to think back. It's been it's been a few years since I read the whole Dark Tower series again. I like, well, it's like a lot of uh, little coincidences and situations culminate to. The inevitable ending. Mm-hmm. Wow! Oh man, you so, so I don't want to ruin Stephen yes. King for you because I, I like Stephen King. I'm just saying that I think that's his trick, is he has like a lot of uh, of the same themes and characters. They're variations. It's not like he does it in a boring, formulaic way. But I've read a lot of Stephen King, and I've re- reread a lot of Stephen King. So it's kind of like the Lester Den approach, you're saying. Right. Hmm. Well, then that explains why I can't write like Stephen King. <laughs> Thank you for helping me figure that out. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm not Den. I like, I like Stephen oh, King. Oh, man. I have like two. I have two. I have so many characters, and they're all like no one is ever doing anything that they should be doing. Like there's everything is, uh, I don't know. It's like you go down in Wonderland when you get in my books, but like a Wonderland full, filled with horrible fucking monsters and well, most of them are just people who are just evil so yeah i read that makes me feel a little bit better actually so okay. i appreciate maybe, maybe it i can get an acknowledgement <laughs> no i'm just kidding um i read the 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 uh, press packet for um crime rave and you had given a little summary cool yeah and uh i i like the idea that you had like this horrible event and that your main characters from the previous book were caught up in it and they had to be reconstituted. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I literally, I literally huge. had to excavate them, like, which was really cool because I always wanted to be Indiana Jones when I was growing up. And I just really wasn't that good at science to, you know, get into archaeology. And so I, it was really cool that it's like there's a rubble and like there's all my girls and a vampire like hidden under the rubble. And they had to dig them up, and then they, like, became people. It was so cool. That was so much fun. Like, when I realized that, like, my girls had survived, it was 
it was awesome actually it was really thrilling because I, I thought they were all dead you know you you kill everyone and and then you think okay well that's really sad like I just went to all this trouble to make these people and then I just killed them like wow okay like that sucks like what's wrong with me and it was actually yeah yeah it's terrible and I think it really says a lot about my mind frame at the time when I wrote when I originally wrote the book. But I remember my my college advisor, um, he he read it and he was like, you know, it's such a shame that they all had to die. I mean, they were so cool. Like all these women are so interesting. And he was like, I could see you writing, you know, a comic book for each one or like a, a novella for each one of them with their story and the whole thing. And and at the time, I was just like, no, like everything is shit and all must die. And that was just that was that. And then it wasn't until, you know, I grew up a little bit and 10 years later was like, you know what, he's right. Like, and it always stuck in my head what he said, like, it's a shame that you killed them all. And I finally realized that, you know, they didn't have to be dead. It's a story. Like, if I want to bring them back, I can. But I had to then figure out, well, how do I bring them back? And then that's where all the goddesses come in. And because, you know, it's it's like weird, weirdly speculative fiction with goddesses and like this whole invented pantheon and smog goddess with who wants to rule the world and like this whole so then this whole thing could emerge from it and it was it was really cool actually there was something very like almost like when i watched the movie martyrs like there was something very horrible but very hopeful about the whole process of kind of resurrecting everyone and and man those chicks are so cool like i keep trying to kill them in the third book cuz i have too many characters and i keep trying to kill them and they come back like, honestly, like, I feel like they're somewhere in the world and I'm going to run into them one day and they're going to be like, you're that bitch who keeps trying to fucking kill me, aren't you? Like, <laughs> like really, like, and they're going to be pissed. And but then they'll hug me because, you know, they're still here. Like, I can, there's nothing I can do about them now. Like, they exist and, and no matter any killing, like, they're all coming back. So I kind of like that. It's like it's like my my little tribe in my head. I think I think Moon and Red Feather are going to be the ones that have beef. Oh yeah, <laughs> those those poor cops. Oh man, cops. I mean, all of this stuff happens in crime rave. You've got goddesses, you've got people just being resurrected, and and vampires and werewolves and bird people, and and the poor LAPD is just like. What? I know, I know. And it was so much fun to like switch the lens, you know, and we were talking earlier about like about horror. And that's the other thing about horror is like the whole idea of the gaze. And, you know, traditionally in horror, it's the male gaze. But when you have the female gaze, you know, different things can happen with the female gaze. And I really feel like that's what that was something that I really was kind of playing on in in, in the book was this idea that like, wow, like, let's just look at these monsters, like from a science perspective, like, People who work in evidence and in facts, like what would what are they gonna do when they see like an actual like lizard woman who's from another planet who's been held prisoner here, or like you know a cyclops chick who turn who, chick who turns people to stone? Like when they actually like when these things get proven, like what happens to them? Because you know they they work in science, like they work in like what you can see and what you can prove. And all of a sudden, it's like their world reads are, are crumbling. And especially for Gun, like that poor woman, like she just she was not equipped like to handle all the stuff that happened. And you know, she's kind of lucky that she made it through um, because that's the kind of thing that will make a person go crazy. Like being a science-minded person and then being faced with the impossible. You know, a werewolf, a vampire who are actually like real and sitting there in front of you. 
and talking to you and you see them transform and you're like, how, like, I think that like there would be some kind of like brain bleed that, that should yeah. start, you know, like just being faced with such an impossibility. And that was really fun. I mean, honestly, like that was, that was also just so much fun to like have the monster as like just through that lens of science and like having to prove who they are, like not just to, for myself, but like for my readers so that my readers would also be, be, be in there like, oh wow, like, you know, this, all the angles are covered here. Like this is actually, like this is actually werewolf. Like this is actually a cyborg chick who shoots knives out of her skin. Like she's real. And there's a mermaid, like, there's a real mermaid, like, wow, okay, like, there she is, like, the, the, the science man, like, who believes in the law, like, he sees her, and there's no disputing it, like, there's no one's playing tricks on them, so, mm -hmm. I don't know, that was, that was fun, that was really, really fun, I actually think I might like to write another crime novel, just because, just for that, because it's really cool when you have these characters who are so based on, on what is, you know, their ideas of what is real, and then you get to just pull the rug from under them and see how they cope with it. Mm -hmm. And and Gin really had like a major worldview shift. So I'm hoping that she, I haven't really like heard anything from her. So I I don't know if she's showing up again, but I know that Red Feather will be back. And I'm uh, that will be probably like maybe the fourth or fifth. I'm not sure if it's going to be a full book or just a novella, but he'll go back to um, Pine Ridge. And uh, I have a feeling that he's going to, He'll be like a sheriff or something, and he's maybe going to finally figure out who killed his dad. And there's going to be other issues like with the Native American community going on. And so, and I feel like that's going to be set in modern day. So it'll be like 15 years from the events of um, of Crime Rave. So yeah, so they, it's it's cool. It's I think there's such an odd mix of like real people and imaginary people, but like the imaginary people are also as real as the real people. That like it's it was it really was fun honestly to write to write crime rave and mm -hmm. and I feel like it's much more of a book than my first one like my first one is almost like a weird little experiment in in strange feminist horror fiction that it's like a little bit too niche and a little bit too genre for people really to kind of engage with and it's like really in your face and very violent and I felt like the, the crime rave was more like a grown up grown ups book like being able to like process anger differently and like the characters aren't so they're not as brutal as they were or as brutalized as they were as well in, as they were in the first book. And yeah. And I'm, I'm really, I'm keen to see like how people develop in the third, because the third I'm kind of making it like a, like a dark fantasy kind of thing mm -hmm. um, because it takes place in Prague and the statues come to life and there's, you know, there's angels coming into the mix and devils and demons and obviously Nazis and zombies, but actual like flesh eating zombies in the third one. Um, so there's like four different kinds of zombies in the, in the third book. <laughs> like, my friend, nice. my friend, he jokes and he says that I have, I have an all monsters, wait, an and everything, wait, everything and the kitchen sink approach to monsters in my book. Mm -hmm. So it's like everything that's there, just like put it in the cauldron and like let it dip, let it simmer. <laughs> well, it's like you said, go all in. <laughs> if we're going to do it, do it. Exactly. So, this is going to sound like a weird question. Um, how would you react if someone compared your work favorably to the X-Men? Or the Doom Patrol. 
Oh God, I, dude, I would love that. Uh, the X Men, the X Men were very much when I when I was first coming up with the characters um, in the first book. The X Men were very much like I was so into them, especially Mystique. Mystique is my favorite, and she's the one. One of my characters, Camelia, actually like when people see her, they think of Mystique, and she doesn't exactly look like Mystique, like the way I've described her. And she's got a very long tail, um, but she she has like that same kind of blue skin and those big black eyes and that whole thing like, yeah, oh my God. And I love the X-Men. I love the idea of like the mutants and like all my characters are hybrids that, you know, they're hybrids of some sort. So mm-hmm. like the fact that you have these mutants and then my characters are hybrids. Like I, there was, there's a, definitely a lot of overlap. Oh my God. That's such a compliment. I, I love it. I love it. I don't, the other one you said, the dude patrol. I, I've never heard dude, of that. What's that one? Patrol. Not dude. The Dude Patrol, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I don't think I would like that one. I'm not sure. <laughs> the, the Dude Patrol, it's, it's DC's kind of version of the X-Men. They, they were uh, all accident victims and, and gained their powers um, through trauma, which is why your, your work reminded me of it. Yeah, you should read it. I am going to. Thank you. Oh, wow. In fact, awesome. in fact um, they just recently started a new Dune Patrol series over at DC, I think under... Shoot their new imprint, which I've forgotten the name of. Of course, the Doom Patrol was really good because all the characters were damaged mm-hmm. uh, physically and mentally. But it was the same setup with the X Men. You had a a, a professor who uh, sent them out on missions, but um, they weren't as um, trusting of each other as they are in the X Men. Um, a lot of infighting in the Doom Patrol and, and a lot of trust issues. Oh, cool. I'm definitely going to look that up. That's interesting. That actually sounds a little bit more like the, because there's a group of, of like hybrid soldiers who are part of this like underground, secret underground um, institute called the Roswell Institute in Crime Rave. And um, they also like, they're all prisoners and they, they, they're made to fight, but they don't trust each other. And if they had trusted each other a little bit, they, they could have turned the tables themselves, but they just, they had been so tortured and so abused by the, these people holding them captive that they, they never were able to really get to that point. So, wow, that's really interesting because it's, because a few of them might show up in the third book, but I, I'm not sure yet. They, they might end up showing up in another book. Um, so I, I will definitely check that out. Thank you so much for the recommendation. I love That's, it. I, I'm actually going to um, have cultists in my Call of Cthulhu game called the Dude Patrol now. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Ooh, River's going to have fun with them. The Dude Patrol. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, it, we, we've gone about an hour. Wow. Yeah, um, oh, yeah wow. We, just, we just jumped into the rabbit hole and – that's that's the magic of that's the magic here that's that's what we love um but now before we sign off though yeah kim's got something go right i do have a little something um now you said the third one is going to be set in prague you've actually been to prague haven't you oh yeah i lived there for four years yeah in fact you've done quite a lot of travel in fact um earlier today i was looking you up online and i saw that you had been on elder zero Yes. And that was talking about you and others who were third culture kids or TCKs. Yeah. Now, how do you think, uh, how do you think that's influenced your work and your, maybe your outlook on things? 
Oh my gosh. I mean, I think going back to the whole idea of like the hybrids, um, I think that's why pretty much every single one of my characters is either like a human and something else hybrid or racial hybrids. Um, they, yeah. And I definitely think that comes from, you know, growing up with a lot of people who are mixed. I mean, being mixed myself, I'm half white and half Sri Lankan. And, you know, when you grow up like that, like you, you always get asked where you're from, even when you're in your home countries. And there's kind of this like outsiderness that you're just kind of built into your life. And so I think growing up a third culture kid, um, it definitely has shaped, like, especially my writing, it has definitely shaped my writing and, and my characters um, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And having lived in so many different places, I think, you know, you just kind of like start to see how people live differently and, and how even a simple thing in one country becomes not a simple thing somewhere else. And, and so figuring out how to kind of negotiate those things and then being an outsider yourself, regardless of where you are, just because you're, you're mixed and you don't like look like you fit anywhere. Um, that just makes things even more complicated. And so I think that's another reason I'm just like very much drawn to horror because, you know, in horror you can, you can have someone who's like half bird and half human. Like that's like in the realm of possibility, you know, and, and in other, in other genres, you know, not so much. And I just feel like all these characters are like, there's, they just, they remind me a lot of like the, the mixes that they are and just like the, the variety of mixes. It just, it reminds me a lot of people I grew up with, you know, where we, we're just a lot of people who are biracial and, you know, trans, transcultural, transnational, like the whole, the whole thing. And all of us growing up in places that weren't actually our home countries or even our passport countries. And so I think it definitely, yeah, it gives you a, a really like weird perspective. It's like, you're looking at the world, like from over here and everyone else is looking at it on this side. And it's, it's like, it's different from where I'm standing, you know, but no matter where I'm standing, it's always going to be different. And because like, I'm always perceived as different too. And so I think, really a big push when I wrote all of my girls, especially was that like, I don't see people like me in books. You know, I don't see a whole lot of like half American, half Sri Lankan chicks, you know, just doing anything like they don't exist in fiction. I've, I've yet to find one so far. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to write them. So like, you know, I have a half Tibetan and a half white chick in, in my book. I had friends who were that mix and, and it's like, maybe, you know, they never saw that either when they were growing up. And so, it's about, I think ultimately, like, it gave me a big push to, for representation. So, and especially, especially rep representation of marginalized people, like mixed people, because there, it, I don't know, there's a, there seems to be like a growing push for, for um, inclusion in, in, especially in the in genre fiction and, and genre storytelling, whether it's in like novels or, or graphic novels or, um, you know, visual media. And so there's, there's really like a growing push for that. But then when it comes to like those of us, we're still marginalized, you know, us like mixies. We're, we're all still, there's still no one who's telling any of our stories or any of like the weirdness that it is like growing up in between things, you know? And so I definitely, yeah, it's a great question. And definitely that my, my upbringing definitely, definitely, definitely shapes the stories that I like to tell and, and who I'm telling them about, you know, and especially the, the fact that they're all hybrids. Like I would say like 90% of my characters are hybrids of some sort. And, you know, that's just like me and my friends. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. That was an awesome question. I love it. Hey.
There you go, Kim. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. I got one in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, just elbow me out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's all the time we have for this evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, thank you for watching. Thank you for coming by. That was fantastic. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Really, this was such a pleasure. I, I really, like, you guys are so awesome. So keep up the good work. <laughs> and we do have a favor to ask of you once we get off the air. Um, so with that said, Monday night, we'll be doing Monday Night Heroes. Steve, do you know what we have lined up? Um, if you're jamming, we're doing microlight. Oh, okay then. And then Friday will be more Friday fun guy. We'll be back next Saturday for microphones of madness. And yeah, we'll have to get back to you with what we're doing because I've forgotten. Uh, it's the dark regions, um, AP, uh, return of the old ones. Ah, return of the old ones. Excellent. Okay. So there we go. And as usual, Say goodnight, Gracie. Goodnight, Gracie. Goodnight, Gracie. (laughs) Bye. Thank you again.